Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Transforming Love by guest speaker Kate Case. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uncontainable love that we have just sung about this morning, that it's beyond our imagining and comprehension and yet so intimate and personal and that you have met us, each, each of us, wherever we are in your life. Open our hearts and our minds to what you've got to say to us this morning and make us soft towards your love and help us as a congregation here to transmit that love to others. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the title says, I'm going to talk to you this morning about transforming love. And if you go to the dictionary and look up the meaning of transformation, it talks about being a marked change in nature or form. But also when I think about the word transforming, it has a kind of creative energy about it. And it brings to mind images such as the potter and the clay on the wheel. You pick up something that's in a very base, ugly kind of state in a clay when you think about it. It's it's this gluggy, ugly stuff and you throw it on the wheel and the potter puts his or her creative hands into it and puts this creative energy into it and comes up with this object of beauty at the end. Something that's so ugly has been transformed into an object of beauty. And those of you who know me know that I'm very passionate about my garden and that transforming a garden is actually a very intense journey. And my husband keeps asking me when it's going to be finished, well, (laughs) how long is a piece of string? If you know me, you know we've moved into a house where we live now about five years ago. And the people we bought the house of actually really didn't treasure what they had. And the garden was rather overgrown and nothing was really thriving. It was a total mess. And I have spent five years putting in paths, rearranging plants, buying plants, putting in fertiliser, putting mulch. And every time we take a, a trailload of fronds to the tip... We go to the landscaping and buy a heap of mulch and put that back on the garden. It's a never-ending process. And I have to keep reminding myself what it was like before I actually started. And if you're one of these people who takes pictures of the house, you go back and you look at the pictures and you see the little trees and you see how now things have grown. Because it's very tempting. I get out there and I see this isn't growing, this isn't thriving, this needs to this. It's still on the journey. And I'm not always appreciating what I've got and have seen the transformation because I'm still wanting to get somewhere with it. I also wanted to talk to you today about one of my most favourite movies of all time and that's Beauty and the Beast. I know it's a Disney cartoon and you might go, "Mm, it's a cartoon. But this is actually a very special movie for me because it was, I don't know if... You probably, if you're my age, you would remember what videos actually looked like. They came in these big kind of cassette things and you had a player that was probably about this big and weighed a ton that you put under your television. Well, this was actually the first video cassette that I ever owned and bought back in 1991. And back in 1991, I was in a very different stage and season in my life. I didn't actually own very much. I didn't actually have a lot of money at the time. I had a couple of kids money only just basically stretched from week to week and I didn't have a lot of savings but I really really liked this video and I had to go to Target and put it on lay-by for a whole $23 and save up and go and actually buy this video but it, it is actually a really lovely story and it's special also because this scene 
in the movie is the first scene in a Disney cartoon that was ever CGI generated. Before that, there was no kind of digital technology in cartoons. I mean, it's, it's everywhere today in movies. But you think just 30 years ago where technology was and how much technology has actually transformed over the 30 years that everything was done analogue back in those days. And every other part of this film was done in analogue technology apart from this scene, which to actually do the 360-degree movement around the ballroom was actually quite something. But we think nothing of that today. <clears throat> It's a rather lovely movie because it's a, a love story and everybody loves a love story. Who wouldn't love a love story? But it's not just a love story. It spoke to me on a very deep spiritual level because it's a story of transformation, redemption and regeneration. The story, if you don't know it, it's, it's basically about a young, handsome prince, but he was a very arrogant and very selfish prince. And an old lady came to his castle looking for refuge for the night in a storm, but in his arrogance and selfishness, because she was ugly and not very um, nice to look at, he was turned away. But she was actually an enchantress in disguise, and so for his selfishness and arrogance, he was transformed into this beast. And the whole palace was transformed into something really very dark and ugly as a result of it, as a result of his selfishness. But he didn't leave, she didn't leave him without hope. She left him with an enchanted rose. And the rose would grow and bloom and then die. But he, he had the time, in that time that the rose was living, that if he could find love, open up his heart to be love, and love in return, his trans, he would be transformed back to the, to the prince that he was before. And in the movie, one of my favourite scenes is, is this one that I'm going to show you. It's about his transformation. You see, we are really old beasts, and this film spoke to me about how we need to encounter the transforming and creative power of God in our lives, because at our hearts, we are all beasts, and we just need to be loved. We might say, is that really true? I mean, who really needs God's love in their lives? Do, do we really need to encounter this transforming power? Are we really all that bad? I mean, you know, I live a good life, do good things. But it says in the Bible this, We are all like sheep. We have all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is mirrored again in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, if you want to go with me there, where it lays it out in no uncertain terms as to how God sees mankind. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we already have made the charge that the Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All together have become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. 
Their throats are an open grave, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Pretty much sums up a beastly way of living to me. See, sin is not really necessarily about whether you're doing good or bad. That's a rather Santa Claus way of looking at the world. Sin is basically defined as living a life apart from God and his love. And in this life that we have, that is actually a choice everyone can make. No one is forced to actually encounter the love of God. It is living a life that denies the existence and rule of God and his truth. But the consequences of living that life is like the life that the beast lived in the film. It, it had of an effect. He, he actually had a life. He actually had quite a good life in his palace. He still had servants, still had nice food. But it was a life of darkness and loneliness. This passage in Romans is also interesting when you come and look at it in a bit more detail when you look at the charge that was made about the Jews and the Gentiles, that all are alike under the power of sin. Because the Jews considered themselves to be God's people, not only just God's people, God's special people set apart from the rest of the world, the Gentiles. But you see, what this passage is saying, there actually is really no difference. Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. You see, the Jews thought they had it all made. They thought that just by adhering to God's laws, that that entitled them to heaven, that they just had to do enough good that would outweigh the bad, that they would get to heaven. But no, that's not what God is saying at all. God is saying that our acceptability is based on us seeing that we're not acceptable to him. Now, I'll say that again. It sounds a bit of a strange saying. Our acceptability before God comes about by us acknowledging that we're not acceptable. You get my drift? What I'm basically saying is that there's no inherent good in us. All of us in our base nature, like the clay that I was talking about, This is us. This sums up mankind. You just have to turn on the television, open Google News, and what do you see? Wars, child abduction, child abuse, marriage breakup, incest, adultery, murders. The world is full of this stuff. It is the base nature of mankind. And what's more... The Bible says this about even our good deeds... All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now in Jewish terms, to be called unclean was quite a bad thing. It's not like you were rolling in the mud and you needed to go and have a bath, take a shower, put on some deodorant and perfume and you would be all smelling like roses again. No, it had deeper, deeper connotations. To be unclean in Jewish society was to be 
to be designated as no longer to be entitled to be a part of society. You were actually exiled. You were set apart. You were sent out from society, outside the walls, to live out in the wilderness, to survive on your own. And you were basically designated unclean because of some act or some disease that you had. Leprosy was the big thing back then. You had to go and be um, um, looked at by the rulers in the synagogue who would would decide whether or not you were unclean. If you were unclean, you left your family, you left your society, and you were exiled. That is saying that really who we are, we are in our base state, we are exiled from God. We, We may have a life here, but unless you have encountered God, you are actually exiled from God. And that the good deeds, the things that you are thinking that you're good, it's like... You know, the Santa Claus, how good have I been this year? You know, you weigh up the good against the bad. No, God's saying, no, nothing that inherently in yourself that you can do good is going to outweigh the bad. It, it doesn't work like that. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now, again, in Isaiah, these filthy rags, it wasn't like, again, you'd got your clothes dirty. These filthy rags are referring to the menstrual rags that women used in their untimed part of the month where they were actually had to. So they're actually stinky, nasty, really stuff. When you think about the best thing that you've ever done in the last week, God says, if you're trying to um, see that as your righteousness, I'm sorry, this is what it's like in my eyes. Pretty strong stuff. You see, unless unless we allow God's transforming love to come into his life, there is no way we can actually have a relationship with God that has meaning. But the good thing about God's transforming love is that he doesn't wait for us to be good enough. We don't have to be striving to be good enough to get to heaven. The really, really great news of the gospel is that God's love meets us where we are. We don't have to prove anything. We don't have to jump through hoops. We just have to acknowledge who we are. And that was the big thing for the beast in the Beauty and the Beast, that he had to come to terms with who he was and open his heart up to love. He had to become acceptable of what he'd done and who he was. And this is brought out so clearly in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 4 to 7. And I think it's a really telling passage for how God meets each and every one of us of where we are in life without requiring us to change or be good enough or do anything to actually earn his love. It's about the woman who was caught in adultery that was brought to Jesus by the rulers of the city. And Jesus responded to them by saying this, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman just standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. 
Go and leave your life of sin. You see, the very one person who had, who had written the rules, the Ten Commandments, was standing in front of this woman. The one person who had every right in the world to pick up a stone and cast a stone at this woman was standing before her. And yet he did not. In great love, he came down and had compassion on her and said something really wonderful to her. Neither do I condemn you, even though he had every right to. He was actually welcoming her back into relationship with him. But there was a catch. If you want to be in relationship with God, go now and leave your life of sin. Because while God's love accepts us and meets us where we are, God's love is a transforming, creative love. It cannot leave you where you are. It must, by its very nature, change you. And you must be open to change. Many of us, I think, maybe from our childhood, maybe from our upbringing, maybe from the media, I don't know what, tend to think of God as the punishing God, the God who has come into this world to discipline you to, you know, because you've done bad things that, you know, it's this, it's even like you see God as the beast like we were here, but But what the gospel, what the Bible is actually showing us, what God is like, that God, while he does discipline us, he's not the punishing God. God actually wants to be in relationship with us on a one-to-one basis and corporately. The greatest love story that's ever been told and ever is being told is the love of God between God and mankind. It is the greatest love story in all its depths and imaginations of what you could think love to be. It is the greatest love story of ever. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He did not come to condemn. He did not come to weigh your good against the bad because there is nothing inherently about us that makes us acceptable to God other than he loves us where we are. The other thing about God's transforming love is that it's not safe. Opening yourselves up to God's transforming love is not without risks. And if you have ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, you will have come to know about Aslan, the lion, in the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia where Mr. Beaver is talking to Susan. Now, Susan, for those of you who don't know, is one of the four children who went through this wardrobe in their um, uncle's, uncle's house into this amazing alternate reality called Narnia, where it's ruled over by this lion called Aslan. And this is what Mr. Beaver is saying to Susan. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, And Susan says, I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. You see, Aslan is an archetype of Jesus Christ. 
While Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia was a very cuddly, friendly lion, and that you see images of the children actually cuddling Aslan and, and being in quite an intimate relationship with him. He was not a pet. He couldn't be commanded to come at their call and do what they wanted to do. No, he came when he thought was appropriate and it wasn't always at the time that the children wanted. And you see, that's how God is towards us. So sometimes we think we see God as our pet, someone who should be at our beck and call, do what we want. But no, that's not the way it works. So when you're welcoming God into your life, You're welcoming not just an uncontainable love, you're welcoming an uncontrollable love, something that's transforming and creative because he's not going to leave you in your base state for that's not what you were created to be. We have been corrupted by our sinful desires and choices to live against God's truth. But... Jesus came to to seek and save the lost and to bring us back into what we were created to be, to transform us from the beast into the person who we were meant to be. Now, if I want to put an image in your mind of what the kind of turmoil might be in your life, if you invite something incontrollable into your life, there's this wonderful ad on television, I think it's for budget insurance, It's funny how I can never remember the brand, but you can remember the images. But there's this image of this guy comes home to his house. It's in total turmoil, TV turned over. It looks like it's been a break-in. But yes, there has been a break-in. There's been a goanna invasion. So a wild animal has got into his house and turned it upside down. Well, that's what's going to happen to you if you open yourself up to God's love. Your life is going to be turned upside down and it's not going to look pretty. That's what I mean about God's love not being safe. Okay? You're in for a rough ride. See, why are we in for a rough ride? God's love is all revealing. See, God has not spoken in the Bible about us being just love. He's also spoken about being light and having the nature of light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, there's a risk to having the light turned on in your life. It reveals everything, and perhaps not everything that you want to be revealed. You know, maybe you might see this. (laughs) Maybe it's something you've been trying to get hidden or covered up. But the problem with living in the dark is that it can also be dangerous. And I'm sure you've all got out of bed in the middle of the night sometime without turning on the light and tripped over something. I know I did that a few years ago. Got out of the bed, I can't remember what it was, and I'd left the vacuum cleaner in the bedroom. Got up, didn't see the vacuum cleaner, tripped over the vacuum cleaner and ended up with a broken toe. A very painful reminder of what it is to stumble around in the dark. And it's no different for us. If you choose to keep God out of your life, to choose not to have his transforming love come in, you're going to be walking around in a life, but it's going to be in the shadows. And there are all sorts of hazards that lurk in the shadows. 
God's light can be really, really blinding. And if we go to Matthew 17.1, we will see just how radiant it can be. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. And his face sun shone like the sun, and his garments became radiant as white. You see, even Jesus, while he was on the earth here, could not show us his full nature of light because it would be too much for us human mortals to actually comprehend the total magnificence of what? It's too much. He had to be veiled in human flesh. But one day we shall see him as he really is. Moses got that privilege when he went up to Mount Sinai. And if you remember back in Exodus, when he came back from talking to God in the mountain, he'd been facing this radiance so much that his face just shone and he had to put a veil over him. You see, God's love is radiantly transforming. And when I look at my own life, like back in 1991, I was telling you about the videotapes and how I didn't have much money. Many people come up and say how nice I look and compliment me on my fashion taste. And that really, to me, really thrills my heart. Because if I could, if you could be a fly on the wall back in 1991, this is not, this is not who you would see. This is not who I was Back in 1991, I, I wasn't really even buying my own clothes. I wore really dowdy, dark stuff. And I used to wear, I just, it's just unbelievable, the stuff. It was just really ugly, dowdy. It was, I didn't really felt that I had a figure. I didn't even think that I looked nice. And 15 years ago, my life went under, went under this transformation after my divorce. And I found who I was, and this is what's emerged. I just look back on then and now and see God's wonderful blessing of transformation in my life. The fact today that I don't actually have to put videos on lay-by anymore, that's... <laughs> I mean, God, God's, God's blessing in my life has been wonderful, and it... it I have to say it was actually quite a painful process. It didn't happen overnight. And the journey that I've been on, like the journey you're on now, it's not always easy. And sometimes it's very painful. And sometimes we can't see the end of the road either. But we need to take comfort that it is a process and that God is with us on the journey. Now, the, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the glory of God, for we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord and whoever is the Spirit. Now that's a really amazing passage. When you read that passage just after we've read the transfiguration passage of how Jesus was just this amazing, brilliant light, and to think that when you invite God into your life, the Holy Spirit is transforming us into that image because we were made to be in the image of God. To think that the darkness that we have, the beast that in us, is being transformed with this light in us. It's being transformed into something that's really amazing. 
You see, while God accepts us and comes and meets us where we are, it is not acceptable for us to remain as we are. And that's the wonderful news of the gospel. But it poses us a challenge. It gives us a choice. A choice of whether you want to live in the light or to dwell in the darkness. Now, I know the socially accepted version of hell is like the fiery place with the devil with the pitchfork poking you in the backside. But I actually don't think that's what hell is at all. I think when you take God out of the equation, when you take the light out of a room and shut the door, what's left? The darkness. And I think you get an inkling of what that is in the parable of the talents. We remember the one guy who had the one talent and he just buried it in the ground and didn't do anything with it. And when the master came back, he called him a lazy servant and said, cast him out into that dark place where there will be then the ganashing of the teeth. Now, that's to me, that is the vision of hell. That's what I think hell is going to be like when our life, when the chance that we've been given in this life to make a choice is, if you haven't chosen the light, you'll be heading for the darkness, where is the ganashing of the teeth. But as I said, making that choice to allow the transforming, creative love of God into your life, it's not without risk. It's going to pose a challenge. It's not going to be easy. You see... God wants to dwell in us as people. And when he comes into us, he's going to make himself a new home. And he's got to clean out the darkness, dust down the cobwebs, and make it a place that's habitable. But at the end of our lives, when the rose has finally dropped its last petal, for those who have made the choice to live in the light, there will actually be a final transformation. And this is it. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. For we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those that have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into an immortal body. Now that kind of blows my mind, that passage, because I really have got no concept of what heaven is going to be like, what an immortal body looks like, other than what we know in the person of Jesus because he was the first person who came back from the dead, who was transformed from death into light. And all I can think is that we must be full of light like him. It must just be this amazing place. There's one last comment I want to make about being transformed. See, once God's transforming love comes into us, he also wants us to be transformers. 
both on an individual level and a corporate level. Now, if you're an electrician, you will know what a transformer is. A transformer is an electrical device that takes electrical energy between two or more circuits. So it takes it from over here and puts it to over here. It's the thing in the middle that transforms the current in a very kind of basic kind of way. So the love that God is giving us, he wants us to shine out into the world and to pass on. See, we, as I said, we're meant to be his dwelling place. We were created to be in his image and actually to be in an eternal love relationship with God. I don't know if that's how you think about your relationship with God, but that's how God wants us to see us. We are in a love relationship with God. I mean, you can be in love with your husband and wife. You can be in, have a love with friends, but we're actually in a love relationship with God. And the church is actually called to be God's dwelling place corporately here and as such to spread his love to the world, to be the transformer to the world so that the world can be transformed with God's love. See, a, commun- a church is not a building. It is a community of transformed believers, a beacon and light to the world that's living in darkness, that's full of beasts, just like we are. Jesus left his disciples with this command, and I leave it with you today. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.